The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm super excited because I just got back from the Pirate Cup of my first time ever in Poland competing in their national team tournament. And to this week, we have a guest all the way from Poland, the captain of Poland, Typhus, one of my good friends, amazing host, and a uh, fantastic Sisters player here who's actually helped me learn the faction uh, for those of you who followed my Sisters series over in the war room. But we're here, we're going to talk sisters, we're going to talk about the team tournament formats, the setups, and all that kind of stuff. Where do sisters fall into a team tournament, and kind of how our lists differ, because Typhus and I have very, very different sisters' armies. He's going to talk about his list, his strengths, weaknesses, how it all works. I'm going to talk about mine. And then in part two, for our amazing podcast patrons, thank you so much. In part two, you're going to get access to our play-by-plays, our games, our battle reports. Typhus is going to go through his matches. I'm going to go through some of mine. We're going to go through sisters. This is going to get deep. If you're interested in learning about Warhammer, learning the game, becoming your best, get on our Patreon, AOW40K.com. Subscribe for five bucks a month. Get access to 200-plus episodes and get into our Discord server. You do not want to miss it. Typhus, are you ready? Oh, never been more ready, Nick. He's never been more ready. Why don't you reintroduce yourself to us? Okay, so... uh... I love it that you learned after the first episode we recorded to not call me by my actual name. You're going far in life, I can tell. That's right. Time has <laughs> actually been on our show uh, about a year ago talking about sisters. And man, have they come a long way since the beginning of Temptation. Oh, oh yes. yes. They did. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know me, I've been part of the Polish national team over a decade now, for over a decade now, which is insane to think about it. Uh, and yeah, I've been playing only sisters for past five, six months. And, and those of you enjoy... who might not know about the team format, um, Poland has been the dominating team, most winning WTC team in the world. So you're talking to literally one of the best Warner players that walks this earth. And also one of the best hosts, right? Surely, Nick? Absolutely one of the best hosts. You are great. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, so this weekend we went for that team event in Poland, deep in Poland, which I don't know if you guys covered on any main channels. I know you only slightly mentioned it on some of the podcasts, right? But the idea for the whole event was that we had, you would say, six national teams from different countries and then two of the Polish teams coming over. And we were staying in the same hotel and we were playing against each other in a pod system that then would develop that top two teams out of each pod would then play against each other and bottom two teams out of each pod would play against each other as well. So the idea was that it wasn't only an event to prove who's the best as WTC is. It was meant more as a training ground for all the teams attending. And you could see it by the variety of the lists that were taken by many teams and also by some of the names because for example the polish teams split their veterans between two teams instead of bringing once an absolute murderous squad but decided to try out some new faces that are trying to get onto the team in the following years so this is so like a the, baby WTC event, um, basically preparation for that. And you guys are trying out some of your prospects for the, the upcoming event before you select, make your team selection, see how people do, and, and just generally get more experience with it. And it's kind of worldwide, right? It's it's six different countries. So we had England, France, America came out, Netherlands, Scotland, and uh, 
what was the last one? Belgium. 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 That was the other pod. That's right. So really awesome event. Some of the hardest hitting players in the world here. And, uh, you know, aside from WTC, you don't really get events like this. And they're starting to pop up more and more. I'm very excited for that. Yeah, this is like a great social part, social event as well, right? Because you get to see all the people that you love. And this is a thing that I really enjoy about this specific event and some other events I attended in Europe is that as they are held in the same hotel you are playing and eating food because the hotel is also a restaurant, etc., it becomes a one giant social event where you play for TK, but like it is the main goal of the event. But at the same time, in the evenings, you can spend time with your friends that you previously only got to see once a year at WTC. And now there's more and more of those events popping up where you can actually meet someone like the Champions Cup coming over later in the year, right? Some of the European players will also come to that for the team event. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, the fact that it's all in one hotel, I mean, that's a little more common in the American event system. Uh, it's often in hotels, but it makes the event so fun. And because it was such a small event with uh, people, it was, it was largely invitational-esque. Um, we all kind of knew each other, and many of us knew each other. So that was really fun just to get to know everybody and hang out and have a good time. So I will change the roles. Now You're I'm going to ask you. Yes, and I'm going to ask you a question. I don't think this has so, ever happened in the past three years of doing this podcast. I'm excited. No, no, no. Okay, so how did you end up going there and what were your expectations? Because you might not be talking about this, but this is really interesting because you guys brought a few of your faces from Art of War, right? So how did it come up for you? What was your perspective of this whole event happening? That's, that is an amazing question, Cyphus. Thank you for asking that. So I went in my capacity as a prospect of Team America. I've been on Team America for like eight years or something over the course of time, but I took last year off um, to work on the business. And then um, I wanted to come back. I missed it so much. I, the FOMO was unreal just sitting on my on YouTube watching Joe's live stream while everyone on, on my team and my friends were playing in WTC. I couldn't handle that. So I, I made a real concentrated push this year to put some work in get back to like world-class level playing and try to make the WTC team and the competition and, and the way Team America has structured itself over the time has really changed. You can learn about it on teamamerica40k.com, but essentially there's a whole prospect pool of people you could apply. You have to like submit uh, an application formally and then it's reviewed by a bunch of members and then you, you are in the prospect Academy system or you're not. And thankfully I was invited. So, um, we select our playing team, the starting roster of eight for the event in August, in April. And this event happened just last weekend in February. So towards the end of February, this this is a huge opportunity to show your muster and whether or not you're serious and, and if you're capable um, on against the actual comp competition. So I went as soon as I got the opportunity to come to this event, uh, I really wanted to make it a priority. Now, I had little expectation for the event itself. I was like, it's in Poland. I've never been to Poland. Um, I know I'm sure it'd be competitive. I'm sure the touring would be WTC standard. I had no, I had, I had every expectation on that front because of the people involved in organizing it. But in terms of logistical expectations, you know, all I knew it was in Poland. Now I, I did a boo-boo when I booked my flights and I went for cheapness over convenience and I definitely screwed oh, myself. Oh, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, no, I, I literally type this. I, I, both ways I flew on on 18 hours plus in the sky to get there. Oh my God, it was it was terrible. And then layover after layover. And then when we got there, 
wasn't even over. You had to drive four hours, but thankfully you made that so much more wonderful than instead of horrible. Um, I really enjoyed hanging out with you. With that said, when I got there, it was really fun. It was exactly as described. It was a really awesome hotel venue. It was actually really pretty. Um, we kind of rented out the entire thing, so it felt very private in that regard. Um, it, was, it was isolated. It was it was not a great experience if I wanted to see Poland on this trip, but I went on this trip to play some Warhammer. Um, maybe maybe I should have also seen Poland to get more value out of my flight time. But next year, uh, next, next year, year. exactly. Um, I had a great time. I really did. It was it was really awesome, and I had a great time seeing friends I haven't seen before and just playing some competitive Warhammer. So then, the where you ask a follow up question, Typhus, you're the interviewer now. Yes, and I do have one. So you've been lately showing as a new devotee to the sisters way and this is a part that i'm really interested how did it really come up to you focusing on the one faction how much of the system that you guys brought in when it comes to choosing the team has actually influenced that because from my experience is that i know you guys created a whole process and a system as a national team to create the best team moving forward and make sure you get the be- the most reps. So there surely must have been some discussion whether what you are playing and how you want to approach the the whole opportunity to get the, to be yeah. the part of the team USA. It's a great question, uh, and this does kind of talk lead us into the rest of our show. Where we talk about our actual list because Sisters for me yeah. was an evolution. Um, I've been playing a lot of singles towards the end of last year. We I had a sprint of like four singles events back to back to back to back over the course of two months. And back then, it was going to culminate in the World Championships of Warhammer. And if you remember during that time, Chaos Space Marines and Eldar were like the only two armies worth playing. And uh, if you're if you're trying to win at that level, so I really like I I've been I haven't played Eldar all edition. Um, that was basically because they were so broken. And I wasn't playing on a team that was using Eldar. I was like, I'm not going to touch these things. So I was playing CSM. And they were also very strong. And I was just playing CSM. But I wasn't having great results. They weren't really my play style. They were just powerful. And uh, there were so many other players, CSM players on Team America. And they were likely to catch a nerf. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall myself um, that I probably should make a pivot off of CSM to make Team America and my likelihood of making the team a little bit better. Because if I'm playing as the the second or third CSM player on the team, and Anthony Vanilla is a more successful one, um, he's going to get that role, and you know I'll be homeless. So let's uh, let's swap it up a little bit and pick an army. Now that was strategic. Um, I talked to kind of our captains and our leadership. And I, I kind of read the room because it's a t- team of like eight returning starters and twelve prospects, and of that whole pool, mm-hmm. we're going to pick eight players to play. So I looked at like our faction gaps. You know, we have like eight Eldar players on this team. So I was like, I really don't need to be the ninth. Um, and then I, the armies that I also enjoy playing. Like we don't have a great guard player on the team, but I hate guard. I, that, I'm not going to be the great guard player. That's not me. But I do really like sisters. I haven't touched them in years. Our team did not have a great sisters player um, who was putting all the time and reps in that were required. And I kind of took that upon myself to be like, this is an army that if I really sit with it and I learn it and I master it, I will get good results from it as opposed to like picking it up and stat checking with people like sisters reward you for knowing the ins and outs and the tricks to it. Um, and I, I found that through my trials and tribulations. So I made some content out of it. I tied it to my heart of war um, series here and finding my faith, which you can catch in the worm. And like every week I would do a video 
documenting my progress. Like if I play games, I do a report or things I learned in the beginning. I was learning so much in the beginning. And I just documented the whole thing. And the, the amount of growth and learning I got over two months of doing this, three months, was like, oh, my first lists were terrible. They're embarrassing to me now. And now it's like, um, <laughs> you know, I really got, I got a down type. This It's really cool. And I think it's so cool because I, I came to you as like a sister's guru, along with like Vic and some other people in our boardroom. And you and Vic and all these guys had not the same ideas, but similar ideas. And what I've ended up taking is, is super different to like what you are actually running. And we both did really well. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, I, I think this is very well showing how well written the index is, at least at this point, when it comes to the internal balance. Because I can mention only two data sheets that I would not consider taking. And that's Dogmata and Astrid Turga. Astrid. And everything else, and every other data sheet, at least I considered once or had in my list once. Yeah, I've tried almost every data sheet in the Sisters Codex. I've tried it in so many different strategies and combinations. And it's rare you see such depth from it. I'm like a struggle. I don't even need a codex. You know, I'm I'm very happy with this index as it is. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Whenever I hear people crying about losing the Bloody Rose buffs and the plus one attack, plus one AP, I think that that would mean that you lose your stratagems. And I would rather keep my stratagems than get more damage in melee. I mean, it so, all depends, right? Like maybe we'll get yeah. new awesome stratagems and whatever the new Bloody Rose detachment is, or or you know, I'm I'm very eager to see what combinations uh, there are. But yeah, our strats oh, are sure. phenomenal. What is the list you actually ended up taking to the Pirate Cup? So I have a different approach to most of the people when it comes to major changes in the game, when it comes to slates, etc. I try after such thing hits the game to play the same stuff I played before and understand the depth of the changes, how it impacts my playstyle and how much it impacts the games I've played before and how it will translate moving forward. That, so, that sounds super easy and intuitive, right? Like just keep playing your army and, and learn the changes. But so many people, or myself included even, will will just embrace it as a new opportunity to just start from scratch and, and pick it up all from a fresh start. And is that a discipline thing that you just don't do it that way? Or, or what is the reason for not? So there is a few things. First of all, my commissioned painter paints beautifully, but I also would like to play only with painted minis. So I play what I have, but that's, that, that's not when it all costs hyper competitive mentality type is. How can you be one of the best players in the world and not play with pieces of paper? Because I've done that in my life. And now I get to enjoy some visual aesthetics, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, but I no, <laughs> in, in all seriousness, I'm also trying, I was considering a lot of the stuff, but at the point where you have a faction that has so much choice, you need to make a decision to stop just jumping from idea to idea and just get into one idea and understand it in depth, see what the good matchups, bad matchups for that army are, because we are talking about teams. So I need to be able to talk about my faction and what the benefits of different lists I will play with that faction will bring to the board on the board for the whole team. And this is something that when I approach the data slate i chose to just drop one unit from my list because it was essentially all the changes 
and just move forward with it and see how it will perform. And thus I learned, I just ended up playing the same stuff, uh, which was a very, I would say, straightforward list. Uh, you could see, for example, Scott Ketchum took my list for at LVO, or he had changed one unit. He changed one Zephyrim squad into one Seraphim squad. He changed that one list and ended up in top 16 at LVO, for example. And also another sisters player, Mitch Beard, was actually at one point ended up playing the same list. So I was like kind of happy that the list that I initially thought about, then some people converged into the same idea, which is yeah, always like, slightly flattering. Uh, so in that case, it is obviously a case of echo chamber when me and the other sisters player on the sisters of battle discord or art of war discord when we have our ideas that we share we end up coming to the very similar conclusions and this might be a problem because sometimes your conclusions might just not be optimal you might be landing in some local minima instead of the global one and not have the optimal lists. And I think this is a point where I wanted to see, and I was really happy to see that you play different sisters list and our other sisters player in Poland, Kruker, was playing something different. And all three of us performed really well at the event. And I was really happy to see that we can have so much innovation and such different approaches, and it still works. Because my list, I still play two exorcists, I have Castigator, I have Morven with Paragons. I still have my combo squad with Dialogus, Palatine, and 10 Battle Sisters. I have Triumph, and I have 30 Arcos in two Rhinos with 2x2 two two Crusaders, 2x5 Seraphim, and 5 Zephyrim. So this is the list that, they, with Data Slate, it only lost, essentially, in my case, one Zephyrim squad and one Crusader squad. And other than that, it is exactly the same thing. But what I'm playing took a big hit in so the that's data. That's super interesting, right? Like your your combos took a little bit of a hit, and we'll get into that. But I just want to talk about your list because it felt like everyone was on the same page, right? There, you have Morvan Vol and Paragons, and you have thirty Arcos, and that was like the the two pieces of your list I thought really defined. And then you also had the Palatine Dialogus 10 girl unit, which, you know, that got directly nerfed. Now you can only use two miracle dice on it, not as many as you'd like. And then it's kind of just normal sister stuff, which is which is great and all. And then there's another list that had Triple Castigator doing super well. Um, you still had the two exorcists in yours. And then I just want to compare and contrast it to mine really quick. So as a brief summary of mine, I had Triumph, Celestine, the Palatine with the Blade, and the Canonis. With the Condemner Bolt Gun, three by ten sisters units, three immolators, which combat squad all of those. No one else even had an immolator. Um, two rhinos full of arcoflagellants, so only 20 arcos. And then I had 15 seraphim and 20 zephyrim, so 35 flying girls, which I had trash everywhere. Also three by two crusaders, you know. Um, but no, no volagons, a lot less raw power, no exorcists, no castigators. And like you said, all three of these sisters' lists did super well. So why don't you break down your list, Typhus, and then we'll kind of go through mine. So when it comes to the performance, you could also, if someone is wondering, on Turnikeeper you can see the results of the event and who we played. You can also see that we played completely different matchups. And that's the beauty of Teams events, that we were built to 
excel or have slightly different roles within the team. And this was very visible in what, what the, our scores were into those specific matchups. So in my list, I found that even before the nerf in the balanced data slate to Triumph's aura, I usually ended up front-loading a lot of the Miracle Dice anyway into early kills with Exorcists. I spent most of my dice early before, and I very rarely had more than three or four dice to use on the actual combo squad. So beforehand, I would nearly never get those stories that you heard from other players like Jack Tite or uh, Vic, who sometimes ended up with like 17 Miracle Dice and said, I just pass all of my saves. I previously played very aggressively with Triumph, with the Dialogist squad. And weirdly enough, the nerves in the balanced data slate just played to my strengths, how I played the faction before. Instead of waiting for one big combo, I spent my resources quite early to put me in a, on a better position on the board. So I wanted to see how far I can go with the changes and how much it impacted me. I love how you broke uh, it down. I think that's really, like, you, you said it perfectly. We all play different matchups, and that's the beauty of teams, of course, is, like, sisters can fill a lot of different roles, it seems. They don't just have to be the draw factory, which people assume they have to be. And then on top of that, um, your approach is, like, spreading those miracle dice over the course of the game to just get value every turn instead of having a big combo turn. What does that look like practically for you? So... Imagine that usually when I finished my game, I had maybe one or two Miracle Days left in my pool. Like, I, I've had I, like 15 in my pool. What even is that? <laughs> yeah, and I always find the weirdest ways to use them all the time throughout the game. And this is something that I've been doing for a very long time, figuring out that there's no reason to keep it. And you probably do the same early game, but late game you probably have so much chaff dying that you have endless stream of low miracle dice at one point. And in my case, playing more elite army, you've made like 15, 20 units. I do not have that. So the army played way differently probably compared to yours because my front line in my army is usually Arcos. And in your case, Arcos were the trading piece. Those were units that were supposed to kill. You had plenty of other chaff to initiate the fight. Right. And in so, my case, I used Arcos and early pressure around the board to make sure that I have good enough position on the board and my opponent in the right position on the board to use my Vulgans to better effectiveness, you, you could say. So when you say that, you're, you're basically leading with your Arcos on objectives. So like it's turn one or turn two and just you're putting 10 Arcoflagellants move advance onto an objective. Are you... They're tough, you know. They're two one models with with uh, four feeling of pain, but they also don't have an armor save seven up, and then they have uh, toughness three. So you can put a lot of saves and wounds yeah. on them. I I do not put them on in the open. They will die. Like that's okay, obvious. So you're like hiding can, them on, on behind ruins. On if I yeah, because you can move the rhino, then disembark behind the wall. So there's like another layers, right? You do not want to get your Rhino killed, because then you're battle-shocked, so you cannot fight on death, so someone can just pick that unit for free. So I usually end up with all my infantry not being in the Rhinos from turn two onwards to play around being wrapped or killed 
in a way that I cannot use fight on death because then if I lose that one unit, as I do not have as many units as you have, I need to be effective in how I spend my resources, which in this case are CP and the fact that I have three or four units early. Do you pay for rhinos just to move turn one into the spot you want, like deploy a little safely? Have a yeah, and then rhinos do not matter. Yeah, that's a lot of points to tack onto an Arcoflagellum just to give it a turn one move, basically. And then they can move block, they can do actions, they can do missions. Yeah, They can be used to, if someone has fight first, like custodies, to move, put them into base contact so they cannot fight something else. And you do not have to spend CPs for suffering and sacrifice in that case. There's plenty of uses of those metal boxes. Like, don't get me wrong, you can also threaten to be in a rhino just not touching the objective, knowing that your opponent could grab something like overwhelming forms, storm hostile, and you know that you wouldn't hold that objective. And then they would not shoot the Rhino because you would disembark onto the objective and get primary because on the other side of the potential disembarkation, you are disembarking behind the wall in a position that you are not holding the objective, but they cannot do anything about it if they put more aggressive shooting units or melee units. So so you put them in a position that, for example, your Rhino is staying in the open and they just do not want to deal with it. So there is plenty of this little cases on the board that you need to anticipate because I've learned my fair share of having my rhinos wrapped to know when to avoid it. Yeah, it's definitely one of my primary tactics when I have the 35 jump girls is to wrap your rhinos. So having the ability to kind of get your arcos out behind an objective or on behind terrain on an objective and then they're they're not able to be shot out, they're not able to be battle shocked typically. And then if someone charges them, you could use fight on death to essentially get value out of them dying and they're not easy to kill like that it makes a lot of sense and then you're basically just buying time for your vol guns to come in how do you deal with the fact that your opponents can just screen that unit out yeah i want them to do it so this is like a different situation on the board throughout the event i use them effectively only three times out of five games but what they also did is that they meant that my opponent needed to screen out every little corner of the board every turn, because sometimes I could just keep them in rapid ingress even if they go uh, if they go second and just threaten them all the time. And what I've done is that it dictated how they need to spread around the board. So it meant that I also got to kill their chaff quicker throughout the game. I, if they had some tougher units screening, like, say, plague, plague drones or however the drones in Death Guard are called, I could kill them with exorcists, etc., etc. I used Valgons as a threat that my opponent was very scared of that forced them to put their units in a position that they didn't want to put them in. Right. Basically, because the Volguns could come in any turn, turn two or three, um, with rapid ingress, nine away, then move, then shoot multi-melt, then charge something else. Uh, that's a that's a powerful combination, of course. And, you know, the question of the day for the opponent is, like, what am I going to do about that on the screen? And your army punishes your opponent for screening because it allows you to charge them with arc of flagellants, and your exorcists are, you said shooting blow drones, which are, which are kind of tough targets, um, but, you know, they, they're toughness 9, your strength 10, that's a good break point. You put them on their invul, they start to fall over. 
Um, and then in other games, you can shoot like their solo locust destroyer or something, probably kill it, and then they're going to run off screen or solo decanons or solo like decanons, a character. Yeah. There's yeah, so you're kind of chipping those screens that are also value pieces for your opponent. And, you know, the Arcos are, are on the objectives and then the Volgans show up anyway. What do you, where does this army fill into a team format for you? Is this like a draw factory or is this like a hammered type of so, trying to get big wins? I didn't care what I played or what board I played them on. As long as I didn't play one specific Necrons build, I felt fine. Like, you can give me anything. I'll bring you eight points at least. Like, this game went bad. You probably know some of those matchups that sisters just do not play really well into. Like, grain, really well played Grey Knights. You play that yourself, but you probably have, as we talked in the car, right? If you yeah. played a perfect game, you should always lose it slightly. Yeah, right. I played against a, a Green Knight player in round five. We'll, we'll really get into our matchup details in, in the part, second part, but in that game, um, I ended up getting a 12-8, which is or an 11-9, rather, which is a nice size win, but in that match, um, it's barely a win, but my opponent made a few errors um, throughout the course of the game, which allowed me to capitalize and steal some points. Realistically, I should have lost an 8-9, or nine, but that's kind of as bad as it gets, barring the Canopta court match. Um, with exactly. I can really push our shit in. <laughs> um, but, uh, Largely speaking, yeah, I found the same thing that the, you know our sisters have such an amazingly high floor in a team format. Like no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. If opponent leaves you an opening, like with the Valgons or with your list, you also can capitalize on a lot of mistakes that your opponent does. This army is drawish in the idea because your estimation tables will be drawish, but it has higher score cap than some other drawish armies. I would wager. Right. And I actually think your army does that more than mine. Um, I was able to get some big wins. I got like an 18 and a 19 this weekend, uh, largely off of opponents' play errors and, and maybe list comp. But um, essentially, we're both using the threat of reserves and rapid ingress to force our opponent into bad positions over the course of the game, those incremental gains that sisters like. And then if your opponent misses up the screening dance or just runs out or something, then you just apply the right kind of pressure right in there. And it, you can really mess somebody's day up. Did you find you were often finding people that would get the screening incorrect and you could really push the envelope on them? So, or were there people often at this level doing it? So for me, this event was still training. So if they missed a screen, I told them so. If they charged and gave me a heroic intervention that would mess them up, I told them so and we fixed the mistakes. Because for me, it Even wasn't it was an event to win. This tournament, wow, I have one mindset. tournament a year, Nick. I have one tournament a year. No, no other tournaments matter to me. The other I mean, tournaments it's a really are interesting just... mindset because most most people will go to the tournament they're playing and they treat it like a tournament, even if that tournament is practiced for another event down the road. But you literally are so only focused on WTC. For me, I want every game to be as good representation of how the matchup should go, and I do not That's mean awesome. to because you're just interested change. in getting better. Yes, I'm not explaining my opponent's mistakes because I can do it anytime. But it is not the point of me becoming better at a given army for one event. It will maybe help me be better at capitalizing those mistakes. But you can tell that when you, for example, play Duda, there probably weren't as many, right? And it can give very you very few far between. And it can give you false confidence of how your army works. 
or what you can expect from a given matchup. And that's very important to take that step back and understand what are the limits of when your opponent plays near perfection. So let's bring this back to the team setting and all that. You're playing uh, kind of play anything army and you're, you can push up based on your opponent's play errors. When you're doing pairings and all that, how does, where do you fall? Are you attacking stuff? Are you defending stuff? Are you in the scrim? What's your job? I was twice first defender, twice, no, sorry, twice first defender, once attacked something to blunt it so it doesn't get high score, and twice I was in a scrum. So I had like absolutely any role that my team needed me to be. Yeah. So a very fluid basically allow you to play whatever whatever position the team needed based on the opponent's composition. This is very useful for a team because this is an army that you do not need to worry about. And when you have eight armies in your team, you will probably have armies like, I don't know, Anthony, who played World Eaters, that really doesn't want to play specific matchups. We don't really have that much of it. And dodging one matchup is absolutely easy in team setting. So if you yeah, only not want to play kind of the court, it's very easy to dodge that. So we do not have to worry about it ever. That's a great point. Yeah, being if you only have like a bad matchup in a team, it's not even much effort to to avoid it. If you have like polarized matchups, like say World Eaters, where some of their matchups are are bright green, they're awesome. You know, will destroy somebody, and some matchups are red because getting shot is painful. Um, but you know, having there's a, there's got to be a balance and being able to provide an army that can play anything and punch up if someone makes a mistake is, is basically the dream, essentially, in teams, is having a great army like that. And it's cool that we both found that in the form of sisters, and we're doing it differently in terms of unit comp. And it's not even just one or two builds. Um, there's the third build that did super well in Poland. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. I think this is the most fun I had with an army since I was playing Screamer Star in 7th. Yeah, and I think it's so cool that and you were playing the same stuff. My <laughs> and you, yeah, you played the same stuff, so you know the feeling. It is. It is really. You have a lot of tactical opportunity to just flex all over your opponent and capitalize on mistakes. And it's all movement based, which means you can really leverage player skill because it's not like I'm going to shoot you and stat check you. I have like three multi melters in my army. What are we talking about? But um, it's all about placement, and I think that's a, a really beautiful way to play Warhammer. It's and that's also what we're going to talk about army. in part two. Yes, yes exactly. It it's it's a very important. rewarding army. I feel every game I've won, I've won to some extent by my decisions. And I love yeah. it. I, I definitely don't ever feel like I'm just beating you because my army's better. Maybe against the demons, because sad demons. Oh, yeah. It felt yeah. like my army's tools um, being applied effectively, I guess, is the, is the reason. But that's what we're going to talk about in part two. That's going to be on AOW40K.com. Typhus and I are going to go into our matchups and talk about the flows, the ins and outs, the crux points, and really the actual plays. Because if we're talking about how sisters are all about the plays and the placement and the decisions you make on the table, we're going to teach you how to do that. So check out AOW40K.com. That is our Patreon. You can support this podcast. I love doing it. I love getting these guests like Typhus on. It's it's a pleasure. And we get to expose the world to some of the best minds in Warhammer. Um, so if you want to support that, you want to learn more, check it out on our Patreon. Typhus, thanks so much for coming on. See you in the part two. See you in the part two, everybody. Bye-bye. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com